0: Uh, Would you take your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Message entitled, A Vacation from God. Before we read chapter 2, may I just kind of uh, refresh everybody's memory about how we got to Judges chapter 2. The book we call the Bible is a story of God's creation and design and love for us. He chose as his people the... Hebrews, we call them the Israelites, the Jewish nation. And we can track their history, if you recall. They were in captivity in Egypt, and God sent Moses, his man, who performed miracles and secured their release. And he had them headed to the, what we call the land of promise, Canaan. And they came to Kadesh Barnea, and at Kadesh Barnea... They decided that God might could take this, but they couldn't. So they determined to go uh, another direction. And so God sent them into the wilderness for 40 years under the, hand, under the leadership of Moses. And after 40 years, everybody except Joshua and Caleb, over 20, had died. And Moses passed off the scene, and Joshua came on as the leader. And the book of Joshua, which is the preceding book, opens with... <coughs> them crossing the river Jordan and beginning the conquest of the land of Canaan. They went, and all of Joshua's about taking the land of Canaan. <coughs> Joshua's life comes to the end, to an end at the end of Joshua, but they don't quite have it all done yet. And as the book of Judges opens, they're continuing the, the, uh, um, the conquest of Canaan, but now you don't have a Joshua and Moses at the helm. And so uh, they start not doing what God told them to do. And in the process, I'm going to submit to you today, took a vacation from God, and it had very detrimental uh, results. If you will, this is where we find ourselves, J- Judges chapter 2. If you will, and we're going to read the entire chapter, and I tell you that in case you don't think that you can stand for the reading of the entire chapter, Feel free to remain seated, but if you can, if you're able, to honor the reading of God's holy word, would you stand now as we we'll read chapter 2 of Judges. <clears throat> now, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with With the inhabitants of this land, you shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum, which literally means weepers. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance, Timnath-Hares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Watch this verse. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers... And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or His work, or the work he had done for Israel. Now, I want to pause here and have your eyes. This doesn't work into this message, but it is a message for another day. Do you know why they did not know the Lord or his work? Here's why. It's because the generation that had died did not teach them. And so now there was a generation that didn't know because it hadn't been taught. Maybe a lesson there, another sermon there for another day. Pick up in verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and asked for us. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them, and yet they did not listen to their judges, for they hored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned away from the way excuse me, they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hands of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them. Whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hands of Joshua. Father, take this portion of your word, and I pray that you will open our ears and our hearts that we can see today in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A message entitled, A Vacation from God. So i begin with the obvious question. How many of you like to go on vacation? Everybody loves the vacation. I mean, it's summertime. Vacations abound. It's it's vacations we think are a time to rest and relax and rejuvenate and get away from the everyday, everyday pressures and struggles of life. And the idea is to unwind and let our hair down and spend our time focusing on what we want to focus on. For some... Vacation is just simply to sit around and read. For others, uh, it's um, fishing, or for others it's to play golf, or for others it's the beach, or for others it's the mountain, for others it's sightseeing, and we can spend the next hour talking about all the things that we go on vacation for. The point is that we go to rejuvenate with fuel. And just as a side, isn't it interesting that many people take such Strenuous vacations today, looking for that pleasure that they have to come back and go to work to get over their vacation. Could I get an amen? That's exactly right. It's kind of interesting as I think about vacations. Some people take vacations with family, and some people take vacations from family. And you know why? And you know why you take vacations from family? Because it has to do with the relationship. You're not going to take anybody on your vacation with you that causes you stress. It causes problems. The title of this message is Vacation from God. Because I believe, as we're going to see in this chapter, the Jewish nation chose in, in Judges chapter 2 to take a vacation from God, instead of a vacation with God. Now, before you get on them too badly, I'll just tell you, don't, because there are many people who do the same. Years ago, when I was a worship leader, we had a man in our church that when he went on vacation, he didn't do anything. I mean, he could be at his home. In fact, we had an event one time at the church, and we asked him, was he coming? He said, no, I'm on vacation. Like, were well, you going to be out of town? No. I'm going to be in that recliner in front of my TV. And, and you're not going to come? No, I'm on vacation. Now, before you get on him too badly, how many of us go on vacation and we're within eyeshot of a, a of a house of worship, but we're on vacation? It kind of stings when we, we sit like that. So the question today is, personally, do we take God on vacation with us or do we take a vacation from God, do we leave him out? As I read chapter 2, I see the Jewish nation going on vacation from God. As I read chapter 2, by extension, I see the United States of America, God and country. I see the United States of America seem to have a vacation of God, and there may be an application that churches and even believers have taken a vacation from God. Let's kind of walk our way through it. If you turn on the back of your bulletin, you know what you'll discover? You'll discover five, six lines, and what I'm going to tell you is that as we get to everything that I find in this book about, uh, in this chapter, about this taking a vacation from God, you'll find that it goes down. It's a downhill spiral. Because that's what taking a vacation will do to you. Now, we get back to these Jewish people, and I have to tell you, had I been God, aren't you glad I'm not God? But had I been God, things would have not gone so well for the for the Jewish people. I'd have taken more I'd have taken a more permanent action on those stiff necked, hard headed. Arrogant and self-serving people. Had I been God, things would have come out a lot differently. I mean, after sending Moses through a 40-year school and paying the price there and sending him back and performing 10 miracles to get them extracted from Egypt where they've been uh, moaning and groaning and carrying on for 400 years and getting them out of there, I would have gotten tired of them saying, Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. I'd have gotten tired of them saying it was better for us in Egypt. I mean, they'd seen the water part. They had uh, tasted water from the rock. They had manna. You know what I'd have said to them? I'd have said, do you really want to go back there? I can arrange that. You ain't no mistake. God is better than I am. Because God showed a great deal of patience. God never abandons His people. He may teach them a lesson, but He'll never abandon them. And He will do His best to send, shall I say, motivation for His people to walk with Him. Now, what we do with it, He will leave us with that decision. So let's just take a look at the progression, the downward progression of the Jewish nation in this chapter. It all begins with... Disobedience. Can you say that for me? Disobedience. Well, okay, half of you woke up. Try it again. Say it with me. Disobedience. It all begins with disobedience. God sent a message to his people, and he was very clear. If you'll obey me, I'll take care of you. But if you don't, I won't. He had provided them leaders, and, and Moses and Joshua he had given them victory over their enemies, and he had blessed them with a great land, and he promised to stay with them forever. But look here, if you've got your Bible still open, I hope you do in verse number two let me back up he says, "I will never break covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land and you shall break down their idols but you have not obeyed my voice. God had co- had taken these people and he had he had now brought them into the land of Canaan. he had protected them. But you know what? God did have some rules. Now, we don't like to talk about that, teenagers, but God had some rules. In fact, can I just tell you this? Wouldn't you like to live in a world where there's just... Well, in the Garden of Eden, there's only one rule. Don't eat the fruit. But now for these people, there were ten rules. And this arrogant, hard-headed, stiff-necked people always had problem with that first rule. You know what the first rule is? No other God before me. And you say, well, did they have an idol? Well, they may have. Do we have idols? Well, we may have. For you see, a God is anything that takes over the place, of uh, the first place of, uh, in our lives. Taking a vacation from God means that we have replaced God in our lives. For the children of Israel... It was control. They wanted to control their life. They knew better than God, and and they did it better than God. And you know what happened? They began their vacation. It seemed like they wanted a break, but I'm just going to tell you it broke wrong for them. But taking a vacation from God always begins with disobedience, and that disobedience leads, number two, to desertion. It leads to desertion. Well, you know what desertion is? That means that you uh, uh, abandon God. We'll look down in verse. Look down in verse 12. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went after other gods. You see, it was not just enough to abandon God, they had to put something else in their life so they chased other gods. Parents When your children get too big to follow your instructions, they've kind of run off with the idea of doing things their own way. And whether it's for a little bit or a long time, they abandon, they desert you and uh, your principles and your ethics and your teaching. And I will just say to you, that is a perfect example of how the children of Israel and us respond to God when we want to take a vacation from Him. It's rarely enough that we just abandon Him. It is more likely the fact that we will put something else or someone else on the throne of our life. Oh, it started down. Disobedience leads to desertion, which leads to disaster. Now, could you find disaster here? If you can't, let me just help us move very quickly down to verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. Would you say that's disastrous? If God, if God is angry with you, would you say that? I, I never wanted my dad angry with me, let alone God. And it says, "Is it His anger was ignited?" Now, the bad thing is, look in verse fifteen. It gets worse. Do you think that's bad enough? Verse fifteen. Whenever they marched out. The hand of the Lord was against him. Now, his anger is already kindled, but now his anger is against them for harm. Ouch. Folks, life is not a game. It is a blessing and a privilege that God has given us. You see, he wants the best. He wanted the best for his children. Here, he wants his best for he wants his best for us as his children. But here's the deal. Please listen. He knows best. We don't know best. But they walked away. God wasn't giving up. He still wanted to bless his people, and so he sent them judges. Did you read that? In like verse 16. But listen, where this this downward try. This downward spiral goes, disobedience, desertion, disaster, to disregard. Disregard. You see, God hadn't ceased calling his people. He had given his people, these folks called judges, to help them return to him, to help them be protected. And verse 16 says, The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those, but they did not listen. To their judges. There's even a word here that's offensive to us for they hoard after other gods. You may be offended, but it's right on point because they literally had a, an adulterous relationship with another God. It's a, it's a clear picture of, of God's people taking up another God and not submitting to him. Not submitting to Jehovah, but submitting to Him. And now they come to a place where they totally disregard the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when you do that, it leads to destruction. You say, well, Brother Jerry, it's already been a disaster. How can it be destruction? If you read verses 18 through 21, "...the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was a judge, and He saved them from the hand of their enemy in all the days of the judge." For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings, by the groanings uh, because of those who afflicted them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back. And so, look in verse 20. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. You see, folks, vacation from God is very costly. Many people believe that the worst thing that can happen to us is God put his hand on us in judgment. And certainly that's bad. Certainly that's disaster. But please listen. There is one other thing that may be worse than God putting his hand on you and me in judgment. And that is God taking his hand of protection off of us. And giving Satan, the evil one, full bore ass. This is where their vacation had taken them. Now God's hand was off of them. And you know where that leads, the ultimate here? It leads to the last that I see, a nation of Israel. That destruction leads to a decision. To a decision. You can read that down there. He says, I will no longer drive them out before any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them whether they will care whether they will take care to walk in the ways of the Lord as their fathers did or not. I know that we have people, maybe some folks in this room that feel like God's got it all worked out and we don't have to worry about it, but listen to, listen to your preacher. This is what the Bible teaches. It comes down to a decision that He calls on us to make. We can decide for or against. We can decide right or wrong. We can decide death or life. We can decide heaven or hell. He puts it in our hands. Our country is in the same shape. Now, we've taken a look at the Jewish nation. Would you just let me, humor me a second. On this last Sunday before Independence Day, Dane and the choir did such a good job of reminding us about how God was involved in our civil freedom. And I'll say to you, there has never been a greater, a more blessed, and a more prosperous, and a more powerful nation than the United States of America. We should never even have become a nation. The odds were incredibly stacked against us. And it was only with the hand of God that we became a nation. Now, I'm going to admit this to you. I have not picked up a history book in years, But I've read some reviews, and I'm, to- I'm told that our modern-day historian has rewritten the history of America. And they've left out anything about God and religion and the faith of our forefathers. If that is the case, why do the writings of our forefathers not indicate such? Let me just walk you through. We'll do this quickly. Brandon? The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Does everybody recognize that name? John Adams. In the chain of human events, the birthday of this nation is in, uh, is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior. The Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. Do you recognize that name? Being a Christian is a character which I prize far above all this world has or can boast. And you recognize that name. Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is the duty as well as the privilege of, and interest of our Christian nation. Did you hear this? Of our Christian nation. Brock needs to read this. To select and prefer Christians for the rulers. Let me just stop to say this. John Jay, if you remember your history, was the very first Supreme Court Chief Justice. He was there when it got started. He knew what our country was about. Let's go. I am a real, this one surprised me, by the way. I am a real Christian, that is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus Christ, Thomas Jefferson. I think we may have one more. You do well to wish to learn our arts and ways of life above all, the religion of Jesus Christ. These will make you a greater and happier people than you are. And George Washington is someone everybody recognizes. You see, folks, just like the children of Israel were blessed by God, freed by God, and led by God, so has the USA been the same thing. The children of Israel decided to take a vacation from God, and I submit to you today, that we have taken a vacation from God as a country, a culture, a lot of times as church, and worse yet, as Christians. The evidence is, the evidence is before So let me just give you just two illustrations. I'm, I'm hurrying, just two illustrations. First Amendment is the big discussion today. Freedom from, I mean, it's freedom of religion. Freedom not from religion, freedom of religion. A man named Fisher Ames considered to be the author of the First Amendment. Liberals tell us First Amendment means one thing. Conservative tells us it means something else. But well, let me just give you this story. After the Constitution was ratified, schools began to pull in other books, along with the Bible, to teach children. And one of our founding fathers wrote these words. We have a dangerous trend beginning to take place in our education. We've become accustomed of late to putting little books in the hands of children containing fables with moral lessons. We are spending less time in the classroom on the Bible, which should be the principal text of our school. The Bible states these great moral lessons better than any other man-made book. Now, it doesn't matter what you and I say. The intent of the First Amendment is, watch who wrote this. Fisher Ames, the author of the First Amendment. As far as I'm concerned, it settles it. You see, the truth is, the truth is, we have taken such a vacation from God that even educators read this and can't believe it. There is one other, there is one other illustration that has to do with our Pledge of Allegiance. It was written in 1892 by a man named Francis Bellamy. It was recognized in 1942, but in 1942 edition, it did not have under God in it. Now, some of you remember, 1954, under God was added into our Pledge of Allegiance because in, 19, in 1954, I'm sorry, the, the under God was uh, added into the Pledge of the Allegiance, and the reason it was is because that was the time we were facing McCarthyism and the rise of communism, and America did not want to be known as a godless, communist nation. Wanted to be known as one nation under God. And in that day, this country embraced that truth, which is God's truth. But I am sad to tell you, I am sad to tell you, that in the last 60 years, we have taken a vacation from God. And what has been produced is a disintegration. A dying and a decaying culture. We have replaced King Jesus and Jehovah God for these things in this world. And we have done it to the point that I believe that we now find ourselves in America living in the last verse of the book of Judges. Watch what it reads. Judges 21-25 reads, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Our vacation from God has cost us in terms of morals, ethics, babies, families, children, and more. We may still be a great nation, but our foundation is in need of some repair. I cannot let this pass without this last four or five minutes just say to you <clears throat> that the only way a nation Like the United States of America can take a vacation from God, is if God's people take a vacation from God. If we vacate God. I want to ask you this morning have you personally taken a vacation from God? I'm not talking about from the church, you're here. I'm talking about have you taken a vacation in your personal life from Him? Are you, are you meeting with him regularly or have you kind of taken a vacation with him? Are you reading his word regularly or are you kind of taking a vacation? Are you praying regularly or have you taken a vacation or in your life? Have you taken him from the throne of your life and put him in the second, third, or fourth or subordinating some other position in the priority of your life? Have you assumed the attitude, if I have nothing else to do, I'll attend worship, I'll go to Bible study. In the beginning of this message, I mentioned that some people take a vacation with their family, and some people take a vacation from their family, and it has to do with their relationships. I submit to you that to answer the question, have you taken a vacation from God, it comes back to the relationship. Have you taken a vacation from God personally? If so, you may find yourself like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You may find yourself in a foreign country, in a far country. He was there and he was living riotous, which means he was living without the Father's protection and love and support. Have you ever thought about that story of the prodigal son? That prodigal son did not have to wait until he got into the pig pen to come home. Because, you see, the father continued his work day in and day out. wasn't going to stop his work day in and day out. But he had one eye on his work and he had another eye on the road waiting for the prodigal to come home. And I will say this to you, God is in the same place today. He's waiting for you to come home. He's watching, he's waiting, and he was wanting you to come back and this nation to return. It begins one by one. Will you return? Let's pray together.